Welcome to Into Security Daily, the Info Security Magazine podcast that brings you a daily, bite-sized news roundup of all that's hot in the info security world. Whilst our website remains offline due to a significant and sustained DDoS attack, we'll bring you news via audio format. I'm Elena Dalloway, Editorial Director, and we're still committed to delivering the headlines that matter straight to you. Hello and welcome to our second Into Security Daily podcast. I'm James Coker, reporter at Info Security, and I'm joined again by Benjamin David, who's our deputy editor. I'll hand over to you, Benjamin, get straight into it for our first story. Yes, thank you for that, James. So the first story of today is regarding researchers detecting surge in hacking tools downloaded from underground sites. Now, security experts have detected a 65% increase in malware and hacking tools downloaded from cybercrime sites between H2 2020 and H1 2021, according to HP's latest Threat Insights report. Now, the data was gathered by HP Wolf Security from customer endpoints from January to June 2021. Its micro-virtualization environments launched on these endpoints to trap and isolate any malware, enabling HP to study its behavior. Now, the HP report reveals the growing sophistication of cyber threats. For example, one malicious tool detected by the firm could solve CAPTCHA challenges using optical character recognition, or OCR. Now, this is a type of AI-powered computer vision technology, which could be used to bypass authentication checks and enable more successful credential stuffing attacks against websites. Now, other threats detected this reporting period, including known info stealer CryptBot, which is now being used to deliver the DanaBot banking Trojan and notorious malware Drydex. Once a banking Trojan, Dridex now behaves in a similar way to Emotet and TrickBot, offering access as a service to ransomware and other groups. Interestingly, it was the top malware family in Q1 2021, thanks to police disruption of Emotet. Whether one strain fails, falls, another is there to take its place. Overall, Email is still the most popular threat vector, accounting for 75% of the malware detected by HP in the period, versus 25% for web downloads. The most common phishing lures were were invoices and business transactions, whilst archive files, spreadsheets, documents, and executables were the most common malicious attachments. A third, 34% of malware captured was previously unknown, a slight drop of 4% from the previous half. However, legacy vulnerabilities continue to be targeted. Exploits of CVE 2017-11882 rose 24% in the half, highlighting why organizations must take a holistic risk-based approach to patch and vulnerability management. And James, of course, an interesting development to the story about Kaseya that you discussed yesterday. 
That's right, Benjamin. Yeah, a very interesting study that you, you spoke about just then as well. Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned yesterday, the Kaseya ransomware case, which took place earlier this month, is very much an ongoing situation. And we've already got an update from yesterday, in fact. So basically, the US software provider Kaseya, they've been forced to deny rumours that it did pay its attackers to obtain the ransomware decryption key that I mentioned yesterday for over 1,000 downstream customers. So in the attack, around 60 of its MSP customers were compromised when the affiliates of the infamous our evil group use zero day exploits to trigger a bypass authentication and code execution on their on-premises VSA installations. However, in total, around 1,500 downstream customers of these MSPs, ranging from Swedish supermarkets to schools in New Zealand, were affected by the incident. It was reported that Kaseya, or perhaps a, a related third party, had paid around the region of 50 to $70 million for a universal decryption key to work across all of these affected organisations. However, interestingly, the R Evil group went silent in mid-July, so that kind of faltered efforts to, to negotiate with the group. However, in an updated statement, Kaseya confirmed that this was not the case. They've been quoted as saying, recent reports have suggested that our continued silence on whether Kaseya paid the ransom may encourage additional ransomware attacks, but nothing could be further from our goal. While each company must make its own decision on whether to pay the ransom, Kaseya decided after consultation with experts to not negotiate with the criminals who perpetrated this attack, and we have not wavered from that commitment. They added, as such, we are confirming in no uncertain terms that Kaseya did not pay a ransom, either directly or indirectly, through a third party to obtain the decryptor. Kaseya also said that the tool has proven 100% successful and is encouraging all affected organisations to come forward to receive it. However, in another development, it's emerged that Kaseya is requiring businesses to sign a non-disclosure agreement before being able to access the tool. And security experts have argued that this extra layer of secrecy will ultimately make it harder for the cybersecurity community to learn from this incident. And the company has so far failed to respond to any questions over the NDA. So it still remains a bit of a mystery history about how the decryption key was gained. But it's, it's very good news to hear that, that a ransom wasn't paid. And Benjamin, I believe you're going to discuss a story about NIS regulations in, in the UK. Indeed. Thanks, James. Because the uh, story seems to get more and more complicated as the days pass on. Yep. So I wanted to talk about the UK government considering yet yeah, amending uh, NIS regulations. So the government has released a call for views on whether it should amend a key EU law designed to improve the security of critical infrastructure providers. The NIS directives applied into UK law as the NIS regulations came into force in 2018 at around the same time as the GDPR. However, it applies to operators of essential services OES in the key sectors such as transport, energy, water, health, and digital infrastructure. Now, unlike the GDPR, its focus is not confined to citizens of data, but rather a broader set of best practice security requirements. Security incidents must be reported to competent authorities for each relevant sector. Now, for digital, is the Information Commissioner's Office, or the ICO. 
Now, the government's little reported call for views yesterday concerns incident reporting thresholds for digital service providers. It argued that as the UK has now left the EU, the incident reporting thresholds are no longer appropriate as they are set too high for the UK alone. It also argued that these need to be reduced to a number that is relevant to the UK. Now, under the government's proposals, the ICO would issue new thresholds as guidance rather than via statutory instrument, i.e. in legislation. Now, the move could seem to be a sensible one to ensure the requirements of NIS are a better fit and that digital service providers are properly held to account for any security incidents they might experience going forward. The hope will be that a more nimble UK will in the future also be able to tweak other cybersecurity regulations in order to keep pace with the changing digital and threat landscape. Over to you, James. I think that you have a desire to chat about the attacks on council remote workers. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, Benjamin. Yeah, the area of cybersecurity regulations is one that we'll, I think we'll see a lot of more developments in over the coming months and years. But as you say, Benjamin, yeah, there's been a, a new information come out about the extent of cyber attacks on, on remote workers that work for UK councils. According to new freedom of information requests, um, cyber attacks on UK council remote workers more than tripled during the pandemic. So the data was from 47 local authorities councils across the UK. It showed that attacks increased by an average of 213% from March 2020 to March 2021. Uh, That's probably to be expected to some extent, given that councils switched 74% of their employees, which is far more than the UK average, to remote working during the pandemic. And in April 2020 believe that around 46.6% of people in employment did work at home according to the Office of National Statistics. So yeah, it's a much higher average for for those local authority workers. And so despite around 1.4 million council staff working from home during the pandemic, just 20% of local authorities made additional investments in security. So this averaged out at only 46,000 per council with the money coming at the expense of other IT services. So these statistics obviously very concerning given that most councils are planning to continue with remote working sort of beyond the pandemic. So visibility and security awareness will be a, will be key to addressing threats in this landscape. Yet less than half of those councils that provided freedom of information responses said that they had invested more budget in security training for remote workers. In addition, only half, uh, 50% exactly, said that they had invested more in security posture assessments to better understand how the shift to remote work had impacted protection. So now that the dust has settled somewhat on the remote working experiment, it's very important to take a kind of comprehensive risk management approach to cybersecurity, including third party risk as well. So this study or this freedom information request and analysis of the figures came from Insight. Obviously, budget will always be a challenge for local authorities in this regard, particularly after the COVID pandemic that has put so many areas of the economy under strain, uh, including public health. That's all our stories for today. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Into Security Daily podcast, and we'll be back tomorrow. And obviously, we 
everyone here at Info Security hopes that our website will be up and running very shortly. Um, but in the meantime, I've been James. And I've been Benjamin. Thanks for listening to Into Security Daily. We can't wait to get back to bringing you the same quality and quantity of online content as soon as possible. Until then, listen in to our daily podcast and stay connected to the cybersecurity stories that matter.